Thank you for joining us this month as Dr. Purvis addresses the faculty of North Carolina College of Theology. As Dr. J.L. Cook, the school's president, says, a setback is really a setup for a comeback. Learn from the life of Peter how failure can be a positive and it's only negative when it's not used for growth. Everything you go through is going to teach you something, but few things will teach you like failure. Let me share with you this morning for a moment. I want to give you a passage of scripture. I want to talk to you about, uh, about failure. And the reason for that is because it's going to happen to all of us at some point. And so when we come to the place of failure, here's, here's the idea and the thought and the message that I want to give to you today. It's, uh, it's basically a message called uh, the, the fruit of failure. And there is fruit, by the way, in failure. When, when you fail, you're going to reach something. So let me, let me help you with something this morning from the, from the passage in Mark chapter uh, 14 about failure. Let me pray with you for just a second. Father, you know my heart today. I'm so grateful for these people in this room and these dear friends and the way they received me this week. And now I know, God, that, uh, that you have a word for us this morning. And you know my spirit, Lord, I'd rather die than preach without the power of the Holy Spirit. And I need you and want you and pray that you would liberate somebody today in this room. Yeah. You would allow us to walk out of this place today recognizing there's a God in heaven that even in our mistakes has made a way to bring glory to his name. So use us for your glory and empower us with your spirit. We cry out for your word to do the work that only it can do. In Jesus' name, amen. If you've never failed at something, you hadn't learned anything, okay? Some of the best things that's going to happen in life is when we fail. We're all going to fail at some point. None of us are perfect. That's the reason Jesus came. And the fact is that failure, just like success, can teach you some valuable lessons if you let it work in your life. And failure is going to leave some fruit in your life. Now, it's sad when you see failure that leaves guilt and shame and brokenness, but that's never the stage God wants to leave you in. If you've ever made a mistake, and some of you have failed sometime in life, and and you just feel like you've been tattooed. You've got that picture in front of you. You remind yourself of it. And you never feel like that you're really worthy or able or capable or can be used. Because somewhere, just when you start to get free, you hear that voice in your head reminding you again. And, the, and that's not a spirit that God would give you. He doesn't give us that spirit of condemnation. In fact, even when we fail, God tells us, yes, you failed and here's what you've done. But God always comes along after that and gives us grace to learn from and to grow through. And so when I think of failure, I've got to think about all the Bible characters that are heroes. Look at every Bible character that is a hero of God, one used by God, all of them had a failure. David, a man after God's own heart, turns around and puts his heart after another man's wife one day and he fails. Uh, Samson fails. Uh, Moses failed. God tells him, you're going to be the great leader. And instead of Moses waiting on God's timing, Moses decides, I'm going to run out and and I'm going to push this ahead. And he doesn't let the time come for God to build the character. And he kills an Egyptian. He tries to do God's will his way. And it sets him back. And so when you read the Bible, you'll find that almost everybody has had to go through the school of failure at some time. I've made it. Now, I've been faithful. Let me tell you, in the, in the moral area, I married. God brought to me a girl who is beautiful, uh, who loves God, who is deeper in the word than I am. And looks like my daughter. Wherever I go, people will say, well, I'm glad you brought your daughter. I said, that's my wife. And, uh, and she is beautiful. One time I was preaching at a church, and this football player, this coach was there. We were talking, and, and uh, he said, man, look at that girl coming down the hallway here in our church. He said, that's the nicest looking girl I've ever seen. I've never seen her before. And I was speaking that week. And I'd been away. 
And so my wife was going to visit that church while I was speaking and surprised me. And I looked down the hallway and I said, that, that's my wife. He said, your wife? I said, yeah. He's a football coach. He said, man, you outkicked your coverage. <laughs> well, he's right. I've been faithful to her, love her all the days. My best thing I ever got was fun when God brought her in my life. Had three sons, all of them loved God, lived for God, were athletes, were good kids, made good grades, and they never brought any hurt or shame to us. But I've failed in some areas in life where I've trusted people that shouldn't have been trusted, been taken advantage of before, had people that were the dearest friends turn around and betray you. And by the way, nothing hurts your vision more than betrayal. When somebody betrays you, you just stop and slow down and wonder, am I ever going to be able to go forward again? And let me tell you, every time God removes somebody out of your life, he knew it in advance and he's going to bring somebody in. Amen. And he'll bring somebody in that will take you to the higher level. In fact, when I mentioned a moment ago about the business guy, I had one business guy that was a CEO and he said, I can't make this journey. You stretch too much. You're pushing too far. He said, I just want you to know that I'm leaving. I want to go to church where I'm comfortable. So he left me and walked out. And I was sad that he did, but as he left, I thought, Lord, what are you going to do? And right behind him, another man walked up and shook my hand. And here he was, this big CEO in America, shook my hand. He said, buddy, I've been watching you for a long time. I want to learn from you and I want to grow with you. And I thought, isn't that something? Less than five minutes after this one's gone, that was taking his seat. Don't, don't ever think when you look out. See, if you're dependent on them and they leave, then sure you're in trouble. But if you depend on God and they leave, God just cleared the path so you put the right one there. And so you keep your eyes on God and he'll take care of the vision and the mission he has for your life. Well, in the story, here's what happens. Jesus comes along and he tells his disciples these words. He's telling them now that he's about to go to the cross. And he says, I want you to know, guys, that tonight, he said, you will all fall away. And he says, because it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And then he says, after that, I'll be raised and I'll go ahead of you to Galilee. Now, Jesus told him what he's going to do. And then Simon Peter speaks up and he says to him, he says, Lord, though all fall, you know what he's thinking? He said, the rest of them probably will, Lord, I can see it. I can see Thomas doubting it all the way. I can see Matthew, he's counting the cost and he's adding it up. Lord, they all going to fall. I agree with you, Lord, they'll all fall. But Lord, you missed it here. They may all fall away, he said, but I will not. And Simon Peter really believed that. He really thought, if anybody's going to go to the wall with you all the way, I'll go with you, Lord. I've seen how wobbly and shaky they are, but not me. I'm in it for the right reason. And so Simon Peter believed what he said. Then you remember what Jesus said? He had to be smiling when he said it. He said, Peter, he said, before the rooster crows three times tomorrow morning, you'll have already, before he crows, you'll have already denied me three times. Now Simon Peter had to think, Lord, up until then, I believed every word you said. But I just don't believe that. And you recall what happened. Three times, Simon Peter stands in and says, I do not know the man. Continually, he moves himself. From, finally, he curses to show that he doesn't know him. And when it's all over, then the shame comes and hears the rooster crowing. And after that, Simon Peter walks away realizing I've failed. Now, one of the beautiful things about his failure, one of the greatest things is, remember when Jesus was resurrected? And he said, you go tell my disciples that I'm raised. And then he said, and Peter. And he added, and Peter. And the reason he said, Peter feels he's disqualified from being a disciple. Peter's going to stay out there and beat himself up and be ashamed. And Peter's not going to come unless you give him a personal invitation. So he said, go tell all the disciples I've risen and Peter. Make sure Peter knows I still love him. Make sure he knows I still include him. He's still on the team. 
And here's what I learned when I look at that little passage. Here's some reasons for failure. One is overconfidence. One is overconfidence. You remember the minute he says, you're going to fail, Simon Peter said, not me, not me. When you get confident, when you get, there's nothing wrong with having confidence in God, but when we get it in ourselves, when we say, boy, I'm good. Boy, I, I know I can handle it. I don't need God. I'm, I'm better than them. That's when we'll fail. Yeah. Overconfidence has brought a lot of people down. Yes. That's why the Bible says pride goes for a fall and a, and a haughty spirit before destruction. Reminds me of that woodpecker one time out there in, uh, in Seattle where you got them big trees. And that little woodpecker was pecking on the tree. And all of a sudden, lightning hit the tree at the same time. Split the tree in half. Woodpecker fell on the ground. He's staggering. All of a sudden, he flew off. He came back a minute later with 10 other woodpeckers. He said, look at that, boys. That's the one I split right there. <laughs> you know, if you read Richard Dorch's book called uh, Integrity and How We Lost It, uh, it's about the Jim Baker PTL story. What he says was, we felt we were invincible. When you get to the place that you feel you're invincible, that's when you're in trouble. And so we always need God. When Richard Nixon made the mess up with Watergate, what happened was is that, uh, that, that David Eisenhower, his son-in-law, came into his office a few weeks earlier. He said, the American people would show you grace if you'll go out and admit you're wrong. And Richard Nixon said, I'll never do that. And because he said, I'd never do that, Richard Nixon waved goodbye one day on an airplane, broke the heart of a nation because he was too proud to say I was wrong. And when we get to that stage, that's when we don't need to lead anymore. And that's the reason God moves us out of leadership. So overconfidence is what Peter had when he said, I won't fall. And the Lord just shook his head and said, Peter, in the morning, before he crows one time, you'll already deny me three times. Second reason that he fell was because of prayerlessness. You remember that Jesus, when he told him these words, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says, gentlemen, I want you to pray with me for one hour. Just one hour. And Peter couldn't pray with him one hour. Now, if you can't pray one hour, you probably won't stay one hour. You know, it, you, you're going to stay based on how long you pray. I've had it just like in my life. I, our church has grown. We hear the good stories. But I know what it's like to have 100 people get up one Sunday and walk out. And they, they wanted to leave. And they wanted me to leave. And I figured it was just easier for me to move, for them to move their letter than it was for me to move my furniture. So... <laughs> It was just, that was just a, to me that didn't make a lot of sense. So I said, okay, I'll stay. And when they walked out, that disheartened me. I loved them. I had reached their kids, did their weddings, baptized their kids. And, and so I had done that. And there'll always be times of heartbreak like that. But if you'll be sweet and be kind when it's over with, there'll come a day that they'll see you in places and they'll find themselves saying, you know, I feel ashamed that I did what I did. I, uh, one day I was standing in a subway line, and sometimes you have to tell people to really clean it up. One day I was in a subway line, and this lady had written, her and her husband, a lot of anonymous notes about me and stirred stuff everywhere and just lied and made up stuff. And then God convicted them, and their family started going through all kinds of curses, and so God convicted them for touching the anointed. And I'm standing in a subway line, and she walks up in front of all these people, she and her husband, and she said, Brother Bill, now, the Lord convicted us. And she said, and, uh, and we were wrong about what we said. I want you to forgive us. And she was flipping about her forgiveness. There was no brokenness. And all these people are listening in. And I, I wish she'd have called me aside, but she did it you know, publicly. And I said, let me help you. And there was a sweet black lady behind the counter making a sandwich. And you could tell she just loved God. She looked like she was going to jump over the counter for hitting the lady anyway. And, and, 
And she said, I, but I want you to forgive me. I know I wrote all them nasty letters. I said all that stuff and stirred that stuff. But I want you to forgive me. And, and I said, let me help you with something. And I put my arm around her. I said, listen. I said, for six months, you wrote things and said things and lied and sent it all over town. Now, two minutes in a subway line is not going to clean that up. Until you're willing to go to those same people that you told all that stuff to. And you want to make that stuff right. I'm not sure your repentance is right. And the lady behind the counter back there making the sandwich, trying to pretend like it wasn't her business. She said, amen. Amen to that. <laughs> We get in a lot of mess because of prayerlessness. I found out that I can have my mind set on one thing and I can pray about it and God will change it like that. And if I'll listen to him, I'll find the right answer in the right way. I spend more time amazed in the presence of God, looking at God and saying, God, I'd have never thought of that. I'd have never figured out how to do that. How did you, you knew that all along. I had a great plan, but yours was so much better. And when we pray, we find God's plan and it works. It makes the difference. Now, the other thing is, is that the, the third reason I think we, we fail is we associate with the wrong crowd. See, Simon Peter's hanging out here with all these folks that they don't love God. They want to crucify Jesus. And the longer you hang out with that crowd, now, I think we ought to love them and reach them. And I do that. But I'm saying if you want to live in that environment so much and you just only hit the word of God like it's some kind of drive through. The problem is when you hang out that you'll adapt that mindset. And you'll start seeing things through a natural mind. You'll figure out how to work and how to manipulate. You know what the difference between motivation and manipulation is? Real simple. Motivation is when I do something and I encourage you for your good. Manipulation is when I say the same thing to you, encourage and all the rest, but I'm doing it for my advantage. You see, that's why it's hard sometimes a Dr. Cook and other people like that have a gift for motivation. I had that gift of encouragement. What's hard is you've seen so many slick charlatan salespeople, and what we do on the surface is the same thing. But underneath, one of them is doing it for their advantage, one of it's doing it for your good. And so that's how you determine the two. Now, when you, when you associate with the wrong crowd, the problem is, is that they'll determine how far you go. They'll determine what you gotta do. I, I've had you know, guys in ministry before where they meant well, and they play the political game. You know, where we gotta know these people, shake hands with these people, mingle that sort of stuff i've always said if i just mingle with god he'll put me where i need to be and so they sometimes say well bill you don't understand you're hurting yourself you know how far you could go if you do this and you do that and i always thought you know how how in bondage i'd be if i played that game you know how much uh, how much i would lose the favor of god if i played that game if god wants you somewhere let me tell you he'll leapfrog you past everybody else and put you where you need to be you keep your heart and your eyes and your mind focused on him and you just realize you're as special to him as anybody else and he wants to get glory out of your life and he's not going to allow you to be manipulated if you want the, if your heart decides i don't want to play the game and so the secret here is learning that and by the way if you associate with the wrong crowd you've seen it when those of you in ministry you ever seen somebody in church that they came in and they were so hungry for god and then they got in the wrong group in the church and that fire began to go out, and that passion began to lose. And instead of being positive, they got negative. And you were, you were pleading the whole time, I hate to have to warn you, but even though it's a church, there's a pocket of people that are never on board. And you start hanging out with them, and they will destroy your soul and stop you spiritually. 
And so that's why it's important that we be able to identify this is the fruit that you're looking for. And I didn't know this until recently. When my son moved out to California, my oldest son moved out there and he talked about how hard it was to find a church. He said, Dad, I'm amazed at the rebellion in churches. He said, my wife and I would go and we'd meet these church people and we'd go out to make friends with them. And the first thing they'd want to say was, what do you think about the pastor? And so he said, well, they were asking the wrong boy. He said, they didn't know I was raised in a pastor's home. He said, so we sat there with three or four couples. They said, what do you think about the pastor? What do you think about his sermon today? And he said, we're visiting. And before we join, here they are trying to do that. He said, we'd say every time, whether we liked it or not, we say, we love that pastor. Isn't that pastor good? And he turned his wife. I'm telling you, I'm going to pray for that man. I love that pastor. What an honor it is to have that pastor in church. He said, all of a sudden, it was like somebody threw a skunk in the room. He said, they'd get as quiet. He said, if they felt bad, I wanted them to feel bad. I wanted them to feel convicted. I wanted them to realize we don't lift up our tongue. We don't raise our voice. We don't do anything to hurt somebody that God's put somewhere. He said, the church we found, what was wonderful was the group of people, as soon as we found them, First thing they were saying is, don't you love our pastor? He said, we knew then we was in the right church. Now, the secret is, folks, it's not happening everywhere, but you and I have to understand that they're in the wrong crowd. That's one of the ways you'll lose it. And then the last reason I think that you can lose and the reason that, uh, that you'll fail is a fear of rejection. It's sad that Simon Peter says, I do not know this man. You know what he wants? He, he don't want to have the courage to speak up. And truth is, is, if you're going to be used by God, you've got to speak up. We are the only voice. I mean, we are the voice left. And so we've got to speak up. We've got to stand up. If you like something, say it. If you want to stand up, if the world feels like, or if some carnal Christian feels like, they have the right to say something negative, critical, pessimistic, slanderous, then I have every right to stand in defense of. And I'll do this thing. If, if you ask me, why do you think about Dr. Cook? I'll tell you, I just cut it off on the front end. Man, I love that guy. He's wonderful. I couldn't ask for a better friend. In fact, everything you say to me about Dr. Cook, I'm going to tell him to his face. So what do you want to tell me about Dr. Cook? <laughs> Normally they'll say, well, you know, I love him too. I... You can stop a lot of that by speaking up. The problem we have is that fear of rejection, just like Simon Peter. And now, here's the, here's the key. It's not if you fail in life, we will. It's what are you going to do when you fail? What are you going to do when you fail? I read a book last year by Harvey McKay called We Got Fired. And here's what he said. He said, it's the best thing that ever happened to us. And he lists the lives of people. Larry King got fired. You know, Larry King said that when he was fired, they said, you don't have a voice for radio. Look where he is today. Did you know that Katie Couric got fired? She was a young anchor lady on a network and the manager didn't like her. And he said to Katie Couric, he said, you'll never make it in TV. You're certainly not anchor material. And they fired her. Look at her today. Muhammad Ali got fired. Uh, Michael Jordan got cut by his 11th, in the 11th grade by his basketball coach. You know, Michael was raised here in this area in Wilmington. Michael got cut by his coach. Can you imagine that? We don't think you can play basketball. Uh, I, what I'm telling you is that's not the end. When you failed, when others didn't believe in it, that could very well be just a turn in the road that God put in your life. If you'd have kept going on that road your way, you'd have probably never got to your destiny. And so you needed that in the road to turn you around. Here, here's what I want you to understand, what you do with failure, real simple. Number one, just realize God knew it before you did. Did you know that Jesus is telling Peter, he said, Peter, 
uh, you don't know this, but you're going to deny me three times for the, for the rooster crows. And what he's saying is, is, I already know what's going to happen. I know the outcome. When we fail, we say, God, I've failed. I'm so sorry. God says, I, I knew he's going to fail. I knew what he's going to go through. I knew you dropped the ball at times. Can I tell you, even if, you, if your heart is in the right place and you mess up, the good news is this. God knows your heart. God knows maybe you didn't intend to. God knows that if you had to do it over again, you'd have redone it. And so the secret is understand you didn't surprise God when you failed. He knew it before you did. The second is focus on your future, not your failure. Uh, that's why he said you go tell Peter that he's still got a future on my team. You go tell Peter it's not over. I want my disciples and Peter. Focus on your future. In fact, some of the best people I know are people that messed up. I was driving, a guy picked me up at the airport one time, and I was driving to a church, and as we, uh, as we turned the corner, this guy wanted to gossip. And, and uh, we turned the corner, and there was a young boy out front passing out some bulletins. A young guy, I said about 25 years old. And, uh, and this man said, listen, see that young guy passing out those bulletins? And I said, yeah. He said, well, about seven years ago, he had an affair. He said he was one of our deacons. He had an affair. He said he confessed it before the church. And he said in the last week or two, they've started letting him pass out bulletins. He hadn't been able to serve or do anything since. And then he said, I just thought you needed to know that. And I said, why would I need to know that? And he said, well, I just thought you might want to know he had that affair. And I said, so seven years, he's had to live with that shame, stay in the same church, and he's done it, not being able to do anything. And a few weeks ago, they let him pass out bulletins. And you want to remind me of what he did? And then the guy said, well, was I wrong? I said, absolutely. And I said, what's his name? He said, his name is Ken. I said, thank you. And I got out of the car, and I walked right over there to where Ken's at. And I said, Ken, I heard you pass out the best bulletins in town. I came all the way from Columbus, Georgia to get one. Let me have one of those bulletins. People are going to fail. People are going to drop the ball. Gee whiz. When your kids get older, by the way, they'll tell you things they did when they were younger. You know, Your kids will always give it to you in increments. They'll tell you a little bit and watch your reaction. A little bit and watch. And now that my kids are married, they'll say, well, Dad, we never told you this, but here's kind of what we did. And, and they'll let me know these little things. And what's funny is I laugh. I say, listen, you don't even know what you've done. It's nothing like what I did. I mean, had it not been for the grace of God and the blood of Jesus, you wouldn't have the dad you had. And so, folks, God forgave us, and we got to forgive others. It's a whole lot freer in life when you look at people and you just say, listen, we're all here by the grace of God. In fact, I saw this thing the other day. A guy was stamping all these goods at a warehouse. And I said, what you putting on there? And he said, i got to put this on all these things that are broken. It was damaged goods, damaged goods. And I thought, we ought to stamp that on the forehead of everybody in the place. We all damaged in some way. You know, the fact is, is Jesus came for damaged goods. And so those are the keys. Now, here's the, here's the third one, and that is, here's what I learned from it. Realize that not everybody's going to forget your failure. Not everybody's going to forget it. And, and if, you're not, if you're not careful, you'll want people to accept you that, uh, that won't. And it'll stop you from ever going forward. You know what legend tells us about Peter? It's one of the saddest things. They tell us that until the day that Simon Peter died, that hecklers would see Peter coming down the street and they would mock and make the sound of a rooster crowing. The reason is they knew that was his shameful moment. So every time they saw Simon Peter, every time Peter would start to preach, they would turn and they'd make the sound of a rooster crowing and they'd laugh about it. And Simon Peter lived till his dying days having to be mocked by people that wouldn't forget that one weak moment in his life. 
And you're going to have people that do that sometimes. You're going to have people occasionally that they find those moments. But let me tell you, God does his best work through those cracked vessels. And so that's what makes us appreciate grace. That's what makes us look at his grace. And when these brothers sing about grace, I can't help but think, you know, it's God that says to us how much I love you in spite of how perfect you and imperfect you are. And it makes us say it's true when I get in his presence. We will say, Timothy, I want to see Jesus because he's the one that died for me. Don't you let your failure stop you. Learn from it. Grow in Christ. You keep your eyes on God. He's got a plan for your life. Thank you so much for letting me be here. Thank you for joining us this month. For more leadership lessons and tips, please remember to visit our website at www.billpurvisleadership.com.